Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we deep dive into a different aspect of cinema. Directors, actors, genres, or franchises, it doesn't matter, because it's always fun at the Film Club. I'm Dean. I'm Boo. And this month we're talking about foreign films, and this week we're talking about... The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. 1920, directed by Robert Vine. It is the first horror film, the first great horror film. It's a Nick Cage favorite, and it's a... 103 years old and it's it's pretty good it's pretty decent yeah and this month is entirely curated by dean so lord save us all uh yes the my um attempt at doing a foreign films 101 in the broadest uh sense of the word i figured we should start with something that's pretty old pretty foundational and pretty german and i couldn't think of anything other than cabinet dr caligari that fit all of those or das cabinet des dr caligari ah yes fraulein yeah i i don't know what those words mean but we'll take it the no no the words that i said oh i was gonna say (laughs) the and of are the only words that i don't think you knew i don't i don't know i don't know uh, but yeah, so I've seen Cabinet of Dr. Caligari probably, I don't know, a half dozen times from film school stuff. Or just uh, because. Or just because, you know. But um, is this the first time you've seen it? This is my first time watching it in its entirety. Okay, so you've seen clips, right? I've seen clips, but didn't know that the the guy in it is named Caesar. I thought he was Caligari. I thought he was in the movie a lot longer than he actually is. Yeah, because... Uh, we don't get him a lot. Yeah, Caesars, he's played by Conrad Veidt, I think? I believe so. Second time on our podcast. Yes. Because he's in... Um, Casablanca. Yeah. And it is it is funny because he's like the very... He's the iconic image, right? Yeah. He's, you know, the, the tall, slender goth boy with the, with the eyeliner. And he's in it for fucking 10 minutes? 15, maybe? Yeah. 15 to be generous, yeah. Yeah, because the movie's only like 80 minutes long or uh, 78 minutes long. Yeah. And it's interesting because his aesthetic is the movie's aesthetic. Yes. Very dark and expressionistic. Nothing looks real. It's... um. I mean, one of the first scenes, I'm like, oh my God, this is Corpse Bride. I mean, the dude looked like Victor Van Dort. It looked like his room. And I'm like, oh my God, this is Tim Burton. Tim Burton has been, you know, training me for this moment. I I literally saw a review of this movie that was if Tim Burton directed The Penguin and Edward Scissorhands in a horror movie. And that, that is a very accurate assessment of Captain Dr. Caligari. Because this is, like, foundational for the horror genre, for a bunch of filmmakers. I mean, Tim Burton is cribbing so much from this movie. I'm going to go have a Tim Burton marathon when I get home tonight. Of course you are. But we should probably let people know what the movie's about. If you haven't seen this movie or don't know anything about the uh, 103-year-old film, we can I mean, sp- are we safe to spoil this? Are we safe to spoil this? I mean, I feel like maybe if it was 110, we could spoil it. But I guess we could, you know, break the rules at 103. Okay, okay. Because <clears throat> the movie generally is about... Francis recalling the experience that drove his fiancée Jane to madness when the evil hypnotist Dr. Caligari and his somnambulous slave Caesar comes to their village. With the arrival of Caligari and Caesar came death. Two murders were committed, 
that drove the villagers into hysteria, and an attempt on Jane's life that nearly broke Francis, but it leads to the discovery of Caligari's true identity and his capture at the asylum. But when we see that Francis is recalling this at said asylum, and the dark surreal world around him, we begin to ask the question, if anything he has told us is real, or just the story of a madman. Done, done, done. Yeah. Done. But yeah, like, the 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 plot of this is tropey as hell, right? Of course. But it is... The beginning. This is the dawn of cinema, and the dawn of horror. Yeah. Um. It is... I've, I've read that... Um, a lot of film scholars, critics, things like that. Um, Robert Roger Ebert specifically said this is like the first true horror film, and I'm wondering how accurate that is because there were like little macabre short films, mm-hmm. like uh, Thomas Edison did an adaptation of Frankenstein before this. But in your opinion, how how foundational do you feel this is? I mean, yeah, it's up there, and I could see why there's the argument between this and Nosferatu being you know, the first horror film. I mean, Nosferatu is two years after this. Yeah, but I mean, we're dealing with Count Orlok, he's a vampire, and in this movie, you know, we're dealing with Caesar and the macabre, so it's like, I can kind of see why there's, you know, confliction there. Like, which one is the is the more impactful work of the genre? Yeah, but I could totally see this being the first one, and then, you know, two years later, you know, we're progressing in filmmaking and storytelling. So, yeah, I could see this one being the first. Okay, because, I mean, it. That's I think that's just going to be the repeating thing about this movie, which is why people should probably watch this, is that it is such a ground-level, like, work in so many different genres. Because it is German Expressionist. It is, like, the first Mm -hmm. true German Expressionist film with how it's designed. Like, the painted on shadows, the stark black and white, the very weird structure and design of everything in the movie. Did did you enjoy the uh, tall chairs and the short desks? I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, I I decided to take no notes for this episode. I wanted to go in completely blind and just go based off of my feelings. And what the hell was going on with the policemen and those incredibly tall stools and that incredibly low ceiling? It made no sense. It, it it's so ridiculous. Weird. Yes, because and they get down every time. It's not like they stay up there working. Every time someone comes into the police station, I'm assuming that's what it is. Mm. You see them awkwardly getting down for their their high stools and like. What is this? What does it mean? That is a question. What the fuck does this mean? Because the world is so warped that it is it leaning into the fact that our, our narrator's unreliable and it's all like madness? Or, or, hear me out. Okay, okay. Maybe someone on set, maybe set uh, designer messed up and just got really small stools and they're like, well... We got the stools, so I think we're just gonna have to do with it. I, I, mm, maybe. I mean, the the sets in this were actually like relatively cheap. I think all sets cost like three hundred bucks, and the actors paid like thirty dollars. I mean, nineteen twenties money, but you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thirty dollars is a lot in thirty in nineteen twenty. Yeah. But uh, yeah, one of my favorite sets is the the one with the mountain, and you see the people. Coming up and down the walkway leading down to the mountain. Yes. it. 
that's the th- everything looks like a weird storybook. It yeah. looks it looks like the storybook of somebody who like was really into like Edward Scissorhands and my chem in high school and they're like we're <laughs> just going exactly this is if you drew a storybook this is if I had talent <laughs> oh please but um I'm I'm curious because you know this is your first time seeing the movie yeah what I guess vibe did you get out of it is there anything about it that really just stood out to you from from the from the jump like what did you expect going in uh, I mean Again, I expected the movie was all about Caesar, thought he was Caligari himself. So I was kind of thrown with like, oh, this is not the story. He actually has a handler. How is this happening? It was just very weird, you know, because Caesar's mostly in a box when he's not out doing, you know, the bidding for Caligari himself. So I really didn't know what to expect once we got in there. But I was just like, Tim Burton, Tim Burton, Tim Burton. That's Tim Burton. Maybe that's another movie. Literally, you're watching this and you're like, this just looks like all these other things that came out after it. Yeah. And it's like, I could totally see like, um, because I mean, Universal Monsters would be coming like in the next decade. Or it'd be be more than a decade after this uh, because Dracula was 31. Yeah. So it'd be 11 years after this. So it's like you could see the, um, the inspirations for those movies coming and i was like okay you know it's really cool to see where it basically started yeah i mean james wales called this and called this a influence on his filmmaking uh same you know tim burton he's name dropped this a, a few times and a lot of the noir guys yeah. of like the 1940s or the like late 30s and the 40s they were all inspired by german expressionism and this is a very exaggerated German expressionist work, but you know Fritz Lang kind of takes this and's like, let's tone this down a little bit, and we'll use some of this stuff in like M or Metropolis, where it's not as it, they're not painting shadows on the walls, but shadows are all over the work. Yeah, I mean this is really kind of like you know the the forefathers of you know of filmmaking, where it's like yeah we can see it even to today, how this movie you know inspired people and is kind of a staple in how we do things with filmmaking. Yeah, because there's so many things about this movie, just like even structurally mm-hmm. it does. Because it has like, I don't know if it's the first twist ending, but it's a fucking early one. It has yeah. the twist ending. It has this whole framing story going it, on. It's got the lady in white. Because yeah. we always have to have a lady in white that wanders. I I it's almost it's like it's the first like psychological thriller like this is almost like the same um basic gist as uh Shutter Island yeah you know that Martin Scorsese directed it's it's a it's really weird how watching this I I mean I like the movie it's a really I think it's a really good movie but it is interesting that all the tropes in this have been repeated and done you know better because you know time and influence mm-hmm. and all these other things but it's so weird seeing like the first the first guy tell the joke, you know? Yeah. And it, that's how I felt with this movie, you know. It kind of brought me back to uh last month when we were talking about Chaplin and we see his progression, you know, uh watching shorts and creating his own and then creating movies. And it's like I can imagine the audiences in 1920 going to the Nickelodeon and you know, okay, I'm used to seeing these little 5-minute shows now going to basically a feature because it, it's 50 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Or it's uh, 78. So, you know, we have that and it's just kind of this shift from, you know, funny kind of campy things to, 
a horror movie, a psychological movie where it's just kind of like, what's going on here? And I'm engaged. Yeah, because I can't imagine anyone watching this that wouldn't be just at least interested to see what the fuck it looks like. Because, like, you can say, like, the story is, like, super tropey because it's the originator, all this stuff. Yeah. But, like, visually, it's it's very weird and wild. It feels like this nightmare dreamscape. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of goes in with the whole, you know, twist ending and all that stuff. Yeah. In your opinion, did anything we see actually happen? Is anything in the Caligari story real? Is it all unreliable narration of a madman? How much of Francis's stuff do you think is true? Well, I think it's one of those movies where, you know, it's up to the viewer to decide what they believe it is. So something that you know, tends to irk me sometimes because we don't get an actual, you know... The reason you hate David Lynch? I don't hate him. Oh. Wait till we get to David Lynch, man. <laughs> it's going to be good. It's going to be epic. But I, I don't hate him. But it's just, you know, in some movies it bothers me. This one it doesn't because maybe it is the beginning, but they did it so well that you really feel like, you know, at least for me, Wait, was that real? Is this just, you know, um, what's our, our lead's name in this movie? Uh, Francis. Like, is Francis just, you know, having a trip right now? Yeah. And like, that's why I kind of liked it, where it's just, you know, no, maybe he is disturbed and he's just kind of created this whole story in his head. Or, no, maybe it did happen and Caligari is just that strong that he broke him and he has him in his uh, mental facility now. I mean, it it gives me the vibe of A Wizard of Oz because, you know, once we're finally at the twist and we see the ending mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, Caligari was the uh, the head psychiatrist and Caesar was one of the wandering patients and mm-hmm. the um, fiance was just this wandering woman in white. And we, it's almost like the thing where, um, like in The Wizard of Oz, when she wakes up, he's like, and you were there and you were there mm-hmm. and you were there. And it, it, it gets this really interesting feel of how your brain does, like, dreams and things like that. Yeah. Or, like, how you tell, like, if you're reading a novel, like, you start casting the, the characters in your head as, mm-hmm. like, you know, just so you have a face to the character. You know, it's like, okay, this book, okay, this is now this person in my head. Yeah. it I really like it because it feels like a dream. Or it feels like a nightmare, actually. But, you know. But... It kind of is a reflection of German Germany's trauma after like World War One. You know, this yeah. is them realizing their kind of nightmare mm-hmm. because uh, the writers Carl Mayer and Hans Janowitz they were they were affected like pretty heavily by World War One. One of them was like an officer, and the other one pretty much faked madness so he wouldn't have to go die in the front. And I mean, you can read in the influence into that where Caligari is kind of this German government and Caesar is the mindless soldier that has mm-hmm. to do his bidding. Yeah. And I'm you know, I'm I'm curious your your thought on, on the Weimar Germany and post World War One Europe, you know, thoughts. Yikes. <laughs> just just big yikes. <laughs> just big yikes. I I mean, but you're but there's definitely that's in there, right? Like this Oh yeah. This feels like, you know, Germany's like guys we just went through some shit right now. Yeah, and I could totally see, you know, Francis, you know, being a soldier and out there in war and it's just hell. Mm-hmm. You know, he loses his best friend, his girl kind of goes nuts. 
And it's just this warscape that he's kind of wading through and trying to wake people up, you know, hey, something bad here is happening. I need you to see it. It's not just me. I'm not crazy. Oh, that's that's interesting. As like Francis is one of these guys who's been so traumatized by the war that he's like, guys, like nothing's normal anymore. Like everything is everything's changed. Yeah, he he's seen behind the veil of humanity, and he's like, "This is it's all dark. It's all bad." Yeah, that's that's an interesting read. I didn't think about that. I I latched onto um, Caligari as you know the the general and Caesar as the soldier, but that's that's an interesting reading. I like that. I do what I can. <laughs> so, now you expand on it. You know, ha! <laughs> oh, now we write the paper, the term paper for it. We're not writing no term paper. <laughs> We're out of. I'm out of film school now. I don't need to go back. We don't have to go back. But you know, I think it's a thing that's very interesting about this movie because I know a lot of people look at this and say this is filmmakers and artists saying, "Guys, you know, we're predicting Hitler like 20 years beforehand." And I'm like, "That's a very weird one." Um, yeah, that's a bit of a reach. I mean, I could see you know where someone might tie that in because Caligari is a dictator you know he completely controls caesar's life he's got you know basically everyone under control at the um at the fair at the fair yeah but also at the uh, medical facility yeah because you see the the doctors helping out francis but in the end they're helping caligari and you're questioning it's like well how is he is he two-faced like are we are how are we supposed to interpret Mm -hmm. who this character is yeah it, it it is interesting because I I get the sense that um I'll I'll just say the the reading that much smarter people have taken from this movie mm-hmm. is Germany post World War One they were um, the artists were like guys we can't get into this we can't let any care like any charismatic leaders take control and try and rile us up into a new war and then literally that happened. And a lot of people are like, oh, this is like a, a predictor of that. And I don't think that's all true. I feel it's more like... It's just a coincidence. It, yeah, it's. I feel it's a lot more of a reflection on, guys, we just went through, you know, one of the most pointless wars in world history. Maybe we should, like, take a, take a real deep look at how we got here, you know? And, and it's, then, you know, you have decades later where, you know, one of the most horrific wars, you know, would occur. And yeah, I think it's just a, a coincidental thing, kind of like the Fast and the or not the Fast and the Furious. Fast and the Furious, Hitler, one and the same. No, no, no. I was gonna say uh, the Final Destination movies, where now we're afraid to be behind trucks that are carrying lumber. It's kind of that thing where it's just like you know, had I never seen that movie, I probably wouldn't have thought of it. But now that I have, that's all I think about, and I will not drive behind one of those trucks. So it's just one of those coincidental things. It, it, one of those things where because some smart guy pointed it out 20 years later, then they're like, oh, yes, mm-hmm. I do see that. But really, you're like, bro, what the fuck are you talking about? They put the bong down for a minute. I mean, and that's also art. It's subjective. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we can view it one way. Someone else might view it another. I mean, it's interpretation. I mean, an interesting thing about interpreting the movie is how would you describe the movie because when this movie came out horror as a film genre did not exist so i mean that's weird to be in a sorry that's weird to be in a world where there's no horror i mean we love the horror genre Mm. 
But because uh, like even Frankenstein was considered like a science fiction science book fiction, and yeah. retroactively was declared. No, this is a film of the macabre. It is a horror book. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because even in film, they were like, there's works of the macabre in dark mm-hmm. stuff. But horror as a genre didn't really get solidified until a few years later. I think yeah. until people started being like, this is what a horror movie is. Like we've defined the tropes enough. So it's like, you know, we have our movie monsters. We love them. Let's create this horror genre that we can put them in the box. Right. Yeah. And it's like, no, this has been starting since Caligari. And there's probably, you know, the macabre shorts that you could probably include those too. But I feel like this was really the jumping off point to getting us where we are today. Yeah. But I guess the question here is, because this is like proto horror, mm-hmm. you know what? How would you? How would you? How does this feel? Does it feel like a horror film? Does it feel like a drama? Does it feel like a an art film? Does it feel more like a um even like a psychological drama? Yes. Yeah, all, yes. All, yes. All of those. Above. All of those. I mean, it feels kind of like um it feels art house, but again, I don't think art house was you know a term till much recent in our history. Yeah, you're waiting for Bergman in the 50s. Yeah, so, you know, back then, it probably would have been a drama. I don't know if, you know, psychological was in there in the the, the canon of, you know, naming uh, types of film. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, psychological is probably the best way to go with it because it, it does trip you up. You get to that twist in the end and you're like, wait, did this happen? And it's it's a thing where the movie's also not very it's not scary. No. In in that sense, like I watched Nosferatu not too long ago, and I wouldn't call that movie frightening, but it is uncomfortable for the entire runtime. Yeah. It's kind of like the same thing like you watch The Shining, mm-hmm. and like The Shining's not like, oh, I'm I'm terrified. No. It is I feel so uncomfortable watching this. Like there is something deeply wrong going on and i don't know what it is and i am just so uncomfortable and i can imagine for audiences in 1920 this was probably uncomfortable for them Mm -hmm. you know you have this man in the box he comes out he does whatever caligari tells him and it's why why is he doing this oh no he's gonna let him out again what is he gonna do next and you know for us you know decades and decades later literally a century centuries and centuries later just one century but okay i don't know i'm feeling pretty old these days couple of centuries but um you Turns know out booze a vampire Shh, you can't tell anybody. <laughs> no but uh yeah you know for us it's not scary but i can imagine for audiences way back then this was probably unnerving unsettling and then we'd get to nosferatu where it's really unsettling yes and i guess that's the thing because what you know, I'm a, I'm a very like like um analytical person when mm-hmm. I watch movies. You know, I'm th- I'm thinking about them a oh, lot. Oh, I know. Yes, but you're very you know you're you're you feel the movies a lot more. Mm-hmm. Did this feel like uncomfortable? Did this feel scary? Cause... No, because this is very Tim Burton. So this was very comfortable for me. <laughs> you're like this is like going home. This is like I a was warm waiting bath. for you know Jack Skellington to turn a corner in there and start singing. I was like, okay, let's do this. I mean, do you? It is it is one of those things where watching this, it's almost impossible to disconnect this from yeah. the the people that have been inspired, especially Tim Burton, because the it it looks so much like Edward Scissorhands. 
it it looks so much like or nightmare. it has like nightmare it has such the same vibe as like a big real of uh, what is it big fish is like yeah. that nice happy version of this where he tells the, the tall mm-hmm. tales in the weird surreal world that's like the nice version of Kevin yeah. Caligari it's it is so hard to disconnect this movie from everything that's come after it and talk about it as its own piece that's why you know I was saying you know to be in the audience when it came out that's the true testament of you know how how you would feel because for us we watch so many movies that it's like we're able to pick up on those, you know, inspirations from modern directors and filmmakers. But yeah, it would have been cool to see, you know, people being afraid of this way back when. I mean, I know that when it came out, because I, I did my my due diligence, I read my IMBD trivia. Of course. Where when it came out, people were like not down with this movie. They thought <laughs> it was like like disturbing mm-hmm. trash they were like what is this i don't like this i want my money sounds back. sounds like a horror movie to me uh, boo was like this was the first texas chainsaw massacre they've mm, they finished the they've come full circle or it's the first cult film i would i would definitely call this the first cult film a midnight movie this feels like yeah because i know that this played in like some paris movie theater for like a decade seven years seven years that that's definitely a cult film kind of vibe yeah they're like hey guys we got Captain dr caligari and we got 15 movies this is gonna play midnight every weekend boys let's go and there'll be somebody in those seats every weekend oh yeah but overall i would say we both liked the movie yeah i i really enjoyed it so is there anything that you didn't enjoy about the movie because let's let's be honest it's a hundred years old we there's probably some things that have not aged well about the film yeah, I mean, the the fiancé or the soon-to-be fiancé, she was kind of annoying how she just kind of, you know, was like this ghostly figure that just kind of kept she, floating around. She's almost not, she's almost plot irrelevant, yeah. honestly. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's a thing where we, you know, we find out that she is in between these two best friends and it's kind of like, you know, hey man, if she picks you, I swear I'll be cool with it. And then the dude gets got. And then she just kind of goes mad. But we don't really get too much of her before that. So it's kind of like... Has she always just been kind of weird? And then there's the whole thing where Caligari sends Caesar to kill her. And then Caesar's like, oh, I can't because she's she's hot. And then tries to kidnap her for some... That's never really explored? No. And then we have, you know, the fake Caesar in the box. And I'm like... Where did he get a, a fake Caesar? But I'm like, okay, whatever. D- does he carry that with him everywhere? Does Caesar sleep in the box with a fake Caesar? No, he's probably under the bed. Oh, uh, just for, for storage. Because you already have Caesar in the cabinet, and that's taking up a lot of space. And that is a big cabinet. And it's a little house that he's living in, so you got to be space, you know, space constants. Caligari's minimalist, all right? He he knows how to keep his life in order. There was no Ikea back in this day, so he couldn't just be like, you know what? I need a new set of cabinets. I need, you know, more space. God, that... I, I want there to be a scene where Dr. Caligari is looking at cabinets, and he's like, hmm, will this fit my somnambulus? Hmm. He had a tiny home before tiny homes was a thing. Dr. Caligari, influential in more ways than film. Who knew? Who knew? But 
Yeah. There wasn't a lot that, you know, I disliked. Um, I watched this on Tubi. I don't know how you watched it. If you watched it on YouTube, like you were recommending. I, I watched it on YouTube um, because it's public domain as hell. Like, it's yeah. you, you can watch this on YouTube. and You can watch this anywhere for free. It yeah. is not hard to find. Yeah, so I don't know if it was just the copy that Tubi has, or it's just this is a movie that's over 100 years old. Uh, the quality kept switching, and you could tell where this was spliced together with a more, you know... A cleaner uh, print versus a, a rougher print. A cleaner print, and then it would transfer back to the way that it had looked. So there were times that where it kind of looked a little bit on the purplish side. And then it would switch mm-hmm. back to, you know, black and white. So it was just this thing where, you know, it was more the quality of the print that I watched. And then because, you know, it's an older movie, and they would show, like, the handwritten, you know, things for you to read. Yeah, I couldn't read it. It was just so kind of like... Well, it's also sometimes it's in just straight fucking German and they just expect you to roll with it. I mean, whether it was in German or it was just, you know, it's a hundred year old movie. So these things kind of start to fade off the screen. So it's like you're trying to focus and like, what is what is he writing? What is this? And it's like, oh, okay, just screw it. I'm just going to piece it together. I mean, that is something that I think people should be conscious about if you're watching silent movies is prints start to matter. Like, the yeah. version you watch matters a lot because, like, the soundtrack or, like, the score is different amongst, like, almost all of these because there, there was no sync sound, so they just kind of, like, sent sheet mm-hmm. music out. But the other thing is, like, the the movie does have this thing where sometimes the tinting, you know, that, that color tinting mm-hmm. where it's like blue to represent night or sepia or whatever, yeah. the consistency for that, there is none. Sometimes it's just blue for some reason and then it's just not halfway through a scene and then it comes back again. And it, that I'm not even thinking is a splicing issue. That's almost like somebody fucked up in the lab. Yeah, because uh, some of those scenes where, you know, it would transfer to purple or or possibly blue um there was one where there was this woman and she had these incredibly dark circles around her eyes mm. and you know with the blue tinting it reminded me of i can't remember the movie it's another you know one of these old movies where um jesus heals the lepers and they do the the trick with uh the the red and blue filters oh yeah yeah, yeah. where you know it's the healing process and they switch over to the red filter and so, then the, the, the makeup the blue, disappears. The makeup disappears, but in the blue filter, you could see it, and it's very exaggerated. And I was kind of like, if I can remember that movie by the, the end of this episode, I was wondering, you know, maybe that this movie was an inspiration for that movie, for that trick. I mean, that's a very interesting photography trick, because that's, that's used now. Well, I, I mean, it's hard because it has to be on film and like yeah. with black and white, but I know for The Lighthouse, they use that exact trick. Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah. They use that exact trick at the end of the movie to make um, blood and things disappear from Robert Pattinson's face. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's one of those like weird like camera trick things that you can do in camera if you know how to like work film, which is cool. And because you know this is the dawn of cinema, you know all these things are being learned. It's that's why it's like it's so fun to see that all these little things that we see, you know, in modern day movies was being invented and created in these movies oh yeah i mean that's that's kind of like the thing about this movie where you're like "Ah, man the pacing's kind of weird but fuck we've had feature films for like five years at this point i gotta give it a break right yeah because i mean that's probably my biggest critique of the movie is it's 78 minutes when it could be an hour you know Mm -hmm. or 70 minutes like it 
there's it's six acts right yeah that, that's what it says you know captain or dr caligari a story of the macabre in six acts bro it could be five like come on now or give us more caesar yeah honestly because the whole thing with like caesar and caligari are so much more interesting than francis trying to run around and tell people hey this is happening believe me believe me exactly or the whole thing where jane's looking for her father and that's just not interesting at all like i almost tuned. i think i tuned out every time jane jane started like (laughs) having her b plot and i feel kind of bad but it's like it it is so plot irrelevant to the thing that's interesting about the movie because you don't really because i don't really understand is caesar magic or is he like what is caesar because in the you know they're like ah here we have caesar the somnambulist he is 23 years old and has slept for 23 years never awaking once and now i will show you caesar's eyes opening and he'll be under my spell and i'm like what the fuck is he a sleepy boy he, a very sleepy boy very sleepy Sleep for 23 years my god oh but it was like my human ideal is caesar he's no, emo I... he likes naps yeah you just need to be emo it, you would enjoy a 23 year nap you'd wake up and be like 10 more minutes 10 just please just please just please if you really love me 15 <laughs> but that's the thing like what is he because it's all fantastical, but the, because, what is he? Because, you know, in uh, pop culture, we know Caesar the way that he is. And, you know, the, the dark clothes and, you know, the makeup under his eyes. And then we see him at the very end. And he's, you know, very much in the corner, kind of like a peacock, you know, just standing there. And it's just like, that's not the Caesar we knew. You're like, what is this? It, it feels like you're still, because it's a, a side show event, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like. Also, I almost forgot. Um, we we should point out that we're calling him Caesar. I think technically his name is Cesare, but that we're calling him Caesar. I thought I read it as Caesar. Well, it's written as Caesar, but it. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be pronounced Ce- like uh, Cesare. Oh yeah, yeah, I see that. But um, yeah, we're, just call him Caesar. we're calling him Caesar because like we're Americans, goddammit. it. But continue. Um. Oh yeah. At so, the sideshow. Yeah. So you know we. We come into the sideshow, and that's where, you know, we meet uh, Caesar and Caligari for the first time. We see their act, and it's... We see their act. Great. And, you know, now we get him at the end, and it's like, are we still in the sideshow? Have they duped us? All of us? I... Look, if we're talking about being duped at a sideshow, having your act be this guy who I swear to God has slept for 23 years is going to wake up, and that's my act. That is a horrible act. <laughs> and then, you know, can you tell me how long I'm going to live for? You're not making it till dawn. He got God. <laughs> I, I guess that's also the thing. Because Caesar predicts the future. And he like, and that's like the gimmick. He's like, he will wake up and tell you your fortune. And he is 100% accurate. I'm like, I mean, you may, you may as well have picked up something in 23 years of sleeping. If you're going to wake up after 23 years of sleeping, you better entertain me right you've been saving yourself for this moment come on you gotta pay off here you, you better tell me you know what the cosmos are you know <laughs> something cool do a backflip i but i think that it is like one of the that is the most scammy dumb fucking <laughs> like stage act i can think of because he's just 
It's like, oh yeah, my fucking assistant here's gonna wake up and <laughs> and lie to you, and then he'll go back to fucking sleep. God, Genius, I, brilliant. <laughs> I I wish my job was that easy. Oh lord, but and and I think it's a thing, you know. And then it's like, why does Caligari want to? commit the murders i mean i understand like he's doing it because he wants the power he wants to yeah. prove that he can control somebody else like fully and completely but does he just kill francis's friend just to prove caesar was wasn't bullshitting him he's like oh well i told them that he could predict the future and now i gotta off this kid all right <laughs> hold on come back <laughs> i mean it, it it is one of those things where you could take this as almost an unintentional comedy if you try and analyze this as um as like trying to be even a semblance of realism yeah i mean like when they go through caligari's office looking for his books and the one doctor's wait he's got the good books behind the cool skeleton in the corner <laughs> the fact that he's like give me a second and opens the secret thing the secret wall safe and i'm like what the fuck and then he has the books right yeah. and he's opening them up and it's like the diary of dr caligari and he opens it up and he's like, it's like young Frankenstein. How I did <laughs> how it. How I did it. <laughs> it's literally how I did it. It is literally that. And it's and then there's the whole thing where it's like Caligari and, and Caesar, they were like Italian and they were doing this thing. And that was like a hundred years before this. So the psychiatrist is like, this guy had some good ideas. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to steal this, run it back, innovate. What? What? I don't know. Yeah. But Caligari himself, did he remind you of anybody? He, okay. Uh, he did in one particular aspect, but I know it's wrong. So his his gloves, do you see his gloves? Yeah. Where they were like white and they had the three black stripes on them, like mm -hmm. that looked like Mickey Mouse gloves. I was like... You, you picked up Mickey Mouse? I picked up Mickey Mouse from his okay, gloves. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. We are, you know, worlds apart. Because <laughs> once, once I saw Caligari... My brain went to uh, Lon Chaney in London After Midnight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, wow. I'm like, I wonder if this inspired Lon Chaney just, you know, uh, costume-wise, not makeup-wise. I mean, the hat, the cloak, the whole the whole getup. Even, I think, you know, the, the, the way that he moves. I was like, wow. I'm like, I wonder if this was an inspiration. But, yeah, you know, we, we have Lon Chaney and then we have Mickey Mouse, you know. <laughs> same size or two different sides of the same coin. Exactly, Obviously. art is you know to be interpreted the way that the viewer sees it. Have you have you ever heard that and you're just like, bro, you're just full of shit, man. I am because I can't believe you saw Mickey Mouse. <laughs> it was just, it was the gloves. I don't know why I saw that and my brain was like, are those Mickey Mouse gloves? How many fingers does he have? I I'm sorry, I don't know why. I, I mean, don't know why. I'm trying to think. I'm like, Disney just turned 100 this year, so. God, could you could you imagine Walt Disney's like, you know what? This Caligari guy, I don't like what he's doing. But those hands, though, there's something there. Well, the Disney company turned 100, so I'm assuming the Mickey Mouse shorts or the Steamboat Willie, those were around that time or a they're, little bit afterwards. I think they're going. They're about to go into public domain, so they're like 90 something. They might be 100 now. Um. God, what a wild time! Incredible. Everything mm -hmm. is brand new. Cocaine wasn't over the counter medication. It was in sodas. It was. Uh, it's good shit. It's yeah. Good shit. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. But uh, the counter to Doctor Caligari. 
It is a movie that I think is incredibly influential. It has its, its important. It's incredibly important. I think that's the the way I should put it. It's incredibly incredibly important. It has its flaws, and then but what movie doesn't? Exactly. But now we're getting to this last one. Is it entertaining? Could you pop this in for the for the girls, you know, for the boys, and be like, hey guys, let's. We're going to watch Counter Dr. Caligari. Can you do the Nick Cage thing and bring people in to watch Counter Dr. Caligari? No, I, I think it's, you know, it's one of those movies where you have to know who your audience is. Is it a homework movie? Is it like if you want to be like a completionist on the horror genre, you kind of have to watch it? Yeah, I think it could be a horror. Uh, a horror um, blah, blah, blah. I think it could be a homework movie, but it's fun homework. Hmm. I, I, there wasn't a point in this where I felt like, man, this is going to be a rough watch. How am I going to get through this? This was, you know, this is fascinating. I can't wait to see what happens next. Yes. And I think, yes. you know, that there's, you know, special audiences that go with this. You know, the the horror fans. I think horror fans would love this. I think um, cinephiles would love this. Film bros. You know, you have to know who you're presenting this to. It, this isn't something you can be like, hey, mom, you want to sit down and watch this? I mean, unless your mom likes horror movies or she's a cinephile. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where I I enjoy this, but I can't. It, this is a difficult recommend, honestly, just because of quality issues, like physical qualities of the prints, because it's hard to be like, oh, watch this on YouTube. It might look good because there's hey, there's mean, a few rough ones out there. I mean, look, and we were planning on doing Cinema Paradiso last month, and we had a hard time getting duplicate copies of it to watch. Well, also finding what, the, the proper cut of the damn thing. The proper cut and then being able to recommend to you guys to go watch this and find it because it's kind of hard to find the movie. So it's it's one of those things where, yeah, that is a factor into recommending this. But I don't think that should be too bad because it's public domain. So, yeah, you know, you can recommend this to anybody, but I think it is very a niche film that you have to know who to recommend it to. Yeah, and if you were going to watch it, it's because it is important. It's probably it's it's way more important than it is like entertaining. Like, I think that's like a qualifier we can put in. Is Is this the most important horror film ever made? I don't think it's the most important. But it's high up on the list because it's the first. Ooh. You don't think it's the most important? What do you think is the most important? I I feel all my bias coming out of me because there's a ton of horror movies that I love. So I don't think I can answer that. <laughs> you were, you're about to say Halloween and you're like, wait, no, Psycho. Wait, no, fucking Frank Dracula, God. Frankenstein. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> there, there's so... The boo is having like a, a seizure right now. Being like, I need to know which, which is the most important one. My eye may or may not be twitching right now. So I'm not going to answer that question. But it's high up on the list. Um, it's also really high up on the list for silent films. Yeah. That's something here at the film club that we are always going to push. Please give silent films uh, an opportunity. I mean, this is definitely in your silent film starter pack. Absolutely. Probably like this this, this and Nosferatu. If you're going to oh, watch yeah. a silent German film, this or Nosferatu is your pick. Or both. Yeah. Or Double feature. Oh, God. this That would be a pretty sick double feature, honestly. 
I might I might do that when I get home. But like, because <laughs> Nosfer- because like Nosferatu and Cabinet Doctor Caligari, they're the same vein. Mm-hmm. They are primordial ooze of horror films that a lot of things kind of spawn out of. Yeah, it, they're these movies that influence goes well beyond them. They are movies that you can still actively watch today in a theater we like, have yeah we saw um nosferatu. nosferatu in the theater for its 99th anniversary and it's it's one of those things where like the, the captain dr caligari is a is a very good movie that that i really wish more people gave a shot to because i i know a lot of people are like it's fucking it's it's black and white it's silent. It's probably boring. It's not boring. It's it's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's not fucking Fast and the Furious, but it's it's fucking interesting. It's family though. It's it's family. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I had to. Uh, but yeah. Um. Do you have anything else you want to talk about the cabinet of Doctor Caligari? No. It's just I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Um. I really recommend people watch it. Maybe watch it a couple of times. I felt like I needed, you know, maybe another go at it before we, you know, started recording. Because there was just so much there. I mean, it's only 78 minutes long. It is, but I also watched it very early this morning, so. There's reasons. Yeah, I kind of got wrecked there. <laughs> but yeah, so that's Counter Dr. Caligari. Um, I really like the movie. It's solid across the board incredibly important i think it's visually interesting like throughout the story's like kind of fucking ridiculous and i think it might be like on purpose but yeah i i think if you got time give it a watch it's you you cannot go wrong watching the movie no and it may open the door for you know maybe german expressionism films uh other silent films other horror movies i mean there's just so many movies out there that need to be watched and need to be saved because can you imagine if someone was like oh this is kind of boring let's not restore it or do anything like no gotta keep it it's important but what do we do (laughs) but what are we watching next week next week it's another dean pick it is and it's a movie that i've never seen before i have a feeling that this is going to be a trend this month it might be because you, you. I watch a lot of foreign movies, and you generally don't. Yeah, every now and then I will. But next month we're going to be talking about Grand Illusion. Ah, uh, Le Grand Illusion, directed by Jean Renoir. It is a movie, another movie about kind of this post World War One. More cabinets. No, yeah, I mean pretty nice cabinets. Oh. Okay. Um, but yeah, it is directed by Jean Renoir. It is. It has been called the greatest movie ever made. Uh, it is a movie that's incredibly poignant. It's, I'll, I'll leave everyone with this. Um, they asked Orson Welles once if he could take two movies with him you know, on a desert island, or he can only save two movies and the rest of cinema would be destroyed. What would be the two movies? And he was like, well, out of the bulk of cinema? Well, The Grand Illusion, obviously, and something else. You, you pick one. It doesn't matter. Hmm. So Orson Welles loved uh, The Grand Illusion. All right. 
But if they wanted to listen to that, where can they go? If you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. You can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault, where Dean eventually will get off his ass and upload more video versions of this podcast. Woohoo! Some great slideshows of all the fun movies we talk about. But if you wanted to know when that was going to happen or know what we're up to, you can go to our social media at The Film Club Podcast on Instagram, where we post daily stories, upcoming episodes, and random adventures we go on. And with that, we'll see you next week at the Film Club. Have a good week, everybody. 